Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Uh, Charlie, remember to edit this. <laughs> and if you don't, then everybody will be embarrassed. Or I'll just post it as is, and it'll yeah. be great. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Listener, oh if you're hearing this, something's gone terribly wrong. This terribly is the raw, wrong. bitter reality. <laughs> it's like a cooking terribly show. Wrong. Cooking shows are supposed to be like so clean cut and they have switch out food and they cook that thing in like 20 minutes flat and it's great. That's never how it really is. It's never okay. like that. Horrendous. Long pause. Okay, long pause. Yeah, I don't know if, if, you go to, if you go immediately now clear to the beginning such a long time ago, I'm going to maybe walk it back a little bit. I mean, there's probably a couple of key things that are different for me now than were early on. And it, I think it's a part of most everybody's path in caring for others and understanding their role in caring for others. When you, when you first start to talk to people about life and the challenges and the difficulties of life, you tend to, in your own deliberations internally, Think about what am I going to say? How am I going to help? What am I going to do? And it's been exceedingly helpful for me to know those questions are always going to be there. I mean, they're they're bright questions, they're inescapable questions. But something that has really helped me is what is asking myself: What more do I need to know? And what more do I need to learn about this person so I can really genuinely care for them and strive to understand them and bring bring conversations about the word to them that connect with them in their life. So that's been a that's been a very significant thing for me. Well, let's jump into a discussion about counseling. Dr. Newman, you've taught a lot of counseling classes. You're teaching a counseling class this week. Yes. And so we just want to have the conversation. For let's maybe start here. Why would you devote a lifetime of ministry to biblical counseling, like why? Why are you in that field? Yeah, boy, that is a, that's a full question, a big question. The simple answer is it's the way God directed my steps. Taking it farther than that, God's developed in me a desire, a passion to help people to be able to look at their own lives, see their own lives, consider their own lives, and strive to make sense out of their life through the lens of God's word and to help other people to help one another to do that, help each other to do that. And that in, in many ways, that's what biblical counseling is. It's a, at its heart, it's discipleship at its heart, it's relationship. And it's not a, it's not a relationship that's kind of this separate relationship from normal. It's normal relationship where often around a problem, but there's conversation about life, conversation about questions, challenges, and just seeking to say, okay, what is, how does God see this? And what does God have to say to this? And how does God's way of seeing life inform uh, where I am now and what's going on now? And it, it, it's a mutual relationship. So it's not... It's not um, one person in need of help, helping someone else. Uh, in, in God's grace, 
much of the sanctification growth that's taken place in my life has taken place in the context of walking with others through things that I'll never experience and hearing them talk, talking about scriptures together, seeing that scriptures do really speak vibrantly into their lives and watching them trust the Lord and live that trust out. And that that can't help but impact you uh, and help you in your own growth. So you, you, you said at its heart, biblical counseling is discipleship and relationship. Uh, so let me just like unpack this a little bit more. Like when you say discipleship, and that's a, that's a buzzword. Yep. Especially now. Yep. Uh, I mean, uh, you go down the rabbit hole on Amazon, like on discipleship books. There's, <laughs> I don't know if hundreds is the right term. The book guy. Yeah. Okay. Nod in his head. Yes. Hundreds of books on how to be a disciple, how to make disciples. What is discipleship? Yep. So what? I mean. Mr. Premodern, you're going to love this. So what does discipleship mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> Horrendous. Uh, what, does, just... what, is, what do you think discipleship objectively is? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you just think about how the word is used. A disciple is a follower. And if, if you become a follower of Christ then you're, you allow your influence in the people that God puts in your life to be used by the Lord to encourage others to become followers of Christ and to continue to follow him. So it looks multifaceted. I think, I, you know, I certainly haven't drilled down on all the latest and greatest on Amazon about discipleship, but I think that a lot of the material goes wrong when it tries to define discipleship too narrowly. You know, it's, it's a program you go through or, or it's a, a one-on-one lifelong relationship that you have or something like that. When you, see, when you see people who followed the Lord in Scripture and who encouraged others to follow the Lord, there was a lot of different shapes that took, a lot of different forms that took. What would you say sets apart your kind of counseling from other counseling that we might find today? And like, like some people might go to like a psychologist or psychiatrist or a Christian counselor or a Bible counselor or a biblical counselor. What would be the difference between what you would espouse as the correct way to counsel and then like what's the centerpiece of that system? Some, some of those categories would have less difference than others. Uh, and some of them would be more personality differences then, because I would like I'd consider myself under the umbrella of biblical counseling for sure. I, I think one thing all counseling shares in common is all counseling becomes potentially life agenda setting in people's lives. And, and all counseling, whether it's biblical counseling or not, does do discipleship. If you're, I mean, if you're helped by somebody and you have somebody else you know who is struggling, what do you do? Well, I was helped by this person. You could be helped by this person too. One of the things that all counseling shares in common is it is discipleship. The question is to whom, to what? Is it, the, is it discipling? I think that if you really are seeking to help people, here, here's another way that I say it, okay? You're helping people in the context of their lives, to come to faith in Christ and to continue to walk with faith in him or to come back 
with walking with faith in him. And that really broadens counseling out. Uh, you know, a lot, and that may be something that, I don't know, sets me apart. I don't really think of myself as the trendsetter, but, but, um, if, if something sets me apart, I think that we tend to think of counseling and seeking counseling and all those things only for times where I've got a really big problem that I don't seem to be able to figure out on my own. But if you think in terms of the path of discipleship, okay, it begins by coming in faith to Christ and then it's a daily walk of faith, uh, availing myself of the grace gifts that he gives to me to, to follow him. And I just need encouragement on that path. It's not just when, when I leave the path. So it's bringing people, helping people to come, giving them every opportunity to come to faith in Christ, to keep walking with faith in Christ, or to return to that walk. Yeah, I think even too, when we get into a discussion of repentance... I feel like we have a connotation of the word repentance that's like, I repent when I've done something really big and bad, and oh boy, you better repent or you're going to get it. And and instead, I, looking at counseling not as a, this is a crisis moment, which it's appropriate then, mm-hmm. but just Absolutely. like repentance, it is a daily engagement. It's yeah. Like, you know, it's not just like, oh, I really messed up this time, so I have to do it. It's it's like the it's the little moments. Right. Where I, I need the encouragement, I need the repentance, I need someone to to teach me and disciple me towards the right the right decisions. Um, and that kind of you, you mentioned. So at its heart, it's discipleship and relationship. So how do you how do you how do you build relationship with someone who approaches you like I really need help, yeah. and they're wanting answers, and usually sometimes those are very urgent or emergency scenarios. How do you build a relationship in those moments to in, it help, help maybe broaden yeah, or uh, yeah. make that ministry more fruitful? Yeah. You take people seriously without minimizing what they're saying to you. And you, you know, the, there are some situations that are of such a dynamic basis that you have to do something now, not do something now, make quick decisions um, but there are many situations that feel like that, that aren't really like that. And so when you just slow down with the person and take seriously what they're going to say to you and listen to what they're going to say to you and take it in and don't answer a matter before you hear it to dip into the Proverbs a little bit, um, then that's, that's a beginning of building trust. Um, if you work to get to know someone, that builds trust. Uh, if as you, I, I would say that if as you start to help them to seek to make sense out of their life God's way, if you do that interactively, hearing from them, listening to them, inviting them to push back, object respectfully, and you interact with them in a way where you want them to be real with you, use the buzzword, be authentic with you, that's going to build trust. And then there, there's, in, in, okay, in any relationship, there's times where you have to risk trust for the good of another person. And that happens a fair amount of times in a counseling relationship. And you know, not, everybody, not everybody will take the trust you offer them and the trust you've built and treat it with kindness or respect. But you have to be willing, especially in a counseling discipleship, close relationship like that to 
risk the trust you've built for the good of the other person and be willing to trust the Lord with the outcome of that. And when people know and have experienced you risking that trust from a heart that really cares about them and they receive that, there's more trust. So, I mean, it's the same, it's the same way you build trust in any relationship. Talk to us about the sufficiency of scriptures in counseling. How do you explain that idea and how central is it? Yeah. When you, I think when you think about the sufficiency of scripture, whether it was previous episode or this one, I'm not sure. Psalm 19 has come up in our discussion before. Okay. So Psalm 19 has come up in our discussion before. And I think Psalm 19 gives you a picture of the sufficiency of Scripture, its purpose, its parameters, that helps you then to actually define Scripture is sufficient for what, uh, and how, and how is it sufficient? So when you when you look at Psalm 19, we often think about, uh, rightfully so, connecting together. Uh, things horizontally, the law of the Lord is perfect, it converts the soul, but we don't as commonly think about the the vertical momentum of the psalm. So you have a word of God that revives the soul, brings the soul back to life, a word of God that moves people from spiritual simplicity, spiritual ignorance to spiritual wisdom. And that growth in spiritual wisdom, when you see the Word of God worked out in your life, what's next? It rejoices your heart. In a sense, it resets what you find joy in. When you see the fruit of biblical wisdom worked out in your life, you can settle in on rejoicing the heart. And then there's kind of a, there's a capstone before this subtle shift of the fear of the Lord. It gives light to the eyes. And... I think that as Psalm 19 is developed, you have general revelation that he begins with focusing on all of the heavens, and he narrows it down to the sun, and then the sun, the light of the sun actually directs poetically to the word in there. So that one one of the ways that I, I think that you can think about the sufficiency of Scripture in light of information and general revelation is that if any interpretation of general revelation leads you away from God's Word, you should be suspect of it. Mm-hmm. If, if any interpretation of God's general revelation seems to add something essential to your life that's not in Scripture, you should hold that suspiciously at best. Because the momentum of the psalm is the light of general revelation is to drive you to the word that brings true light to your eyes. And so the word of God is sufficient to do what? To bring us to life, to move us from spiritual ignorance to spiritual wisdom, to help us to find joy in the right places and the right things. And what does it do? It, enli- it gives light to the eyes. And then this shift of the fear of the Lord, um, let me get there again, the shift of the fear of the Lord, it's clean, it endures forever. The rules, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So as I develop and you help people to develop a pattern of ordering their lives according to the light of God's word, what happens? You have a biblical wisdom, a light to your eyes that lets you 
I say it this way, I'm not 100% satisfied with it. So if a listener has a better way of saying it, hey, write in. Uh, but it lets you pass the same kind of judgments over things in your life and yourself that God passes because you're seeing and living life God's way. That's, that's the purpose. And it, it's interesting that then the psalmist, the, the response to that is, I need to delight in this. It's, it's better than the best things, the sweetest things of food, the best riches. And then it really, there's reward to be found and there's warning to be found in that. And I think the end of Psalm 19 defines both the warning and the reward. What do I, if I'm going to be a person who keeps moving from spiritual ignorance to spiritual wisdom, my rejoicing, my heart continually gets reset to the right person in the right place. And I have, I'm able to see life God's way, have light to my eyes. I need warning because I, I don't understand my own sinfulness. Who can discern his own errors? And I need to, I need to be protected from hidden faults. I need to be restrained from high-handed sin. And the end story is I get to have words of mouth and meditations of heart that bring delight to the Lord. And so that I think that's the reward. I don't get to write my own reward ticket. Wouldn't it be nice? Uh, but if I if if the word is sufficient to help me to come to faith in Christ, live that faith out. The end result of that is the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart reflect the character of the Lord that is my strength and my redeemer. Okay, so here's a question that kind of comes off of uh, of Scripture. We're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. What are your go-to passages? Like, I, if you're if you're like me, maybe like a little bit of a creature of habit. And there's times as you're as you're talking with people that as you listen your mind is just going to the similar passages all the time. And do you have like a, a short list of like, yeah, I really like this passage for this, or I find yeah. myself in this book often. What, what do you think? Yeah, that's, that? that's a really good question. Um, and the, the, what I, as I start answering the question, it may sound a little bit like a scolding, but it's not. We, it only makes sense that we will tend to minister and talk about passages that God's used in our lives and that we've seen others be blessed by and helped by. Uh, so the analogy that I often use is as you are thinking and listening and asking good questions to learn about the person, to care about the person, which isn't just what you do before you counsel the person, it is how you care and love for a person. You're thinking about what you're hearing and then you have to be you can only draw on what you know of scripture. So you got to keep the well full. And my, my metaphor to return to that one is you're like pitching a bucket down the well of your own knowledge of scripture and the way the Lord used scripture in your life and saying, okay, I wonder, I wonder if that, maybe that's what to talk about. Maybe that would fit here. Maybe. And, and sometimes you just dump the bucket back down in the well again and so you, there, there, it only makes sense that you do have key passages that have helped you, that you've watched bless others. But I do try to, I do try to mine across the path of Scripture. And I actually did an exercise in one of my classes where, if you only had this genre of Scripture to use in counseling, what would you use from it? Um, if you only had the Old Testament. Yeah. 
Yeah. The if Old Testament's own... not a genre. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you... <laughs> right, right. If you only had the history books, if you only had the wisdom books, if you only had the prophets. Then, yeah, if you only had you know, the prophets, oh boy, we'd be in the, trouble. The anti-wisdom, how's that sound? <laughs> well, you would need, you would, I mean, you obviously would need to locate that within the whole body of scripture, but you, you know, you, you should be able to, from your knowledge of the rest of scripture, use the prophets and use the prophets effectively in the right situation for the right person. Because if, if you're, what you're striving to do is to help people to see that the things of their life, the stuff of their life maps onto the word of God and the word of God through the spirit of God directs their steps, then there's distinctions across scripture for sure. But there is a continuity of believers walking by faith that you ought to be able to illustrate and instruct on from any of those places. So, so I mean, circle back to Charlie's question. It's not uncommon for me to live in the book of Ephesians, and nobody who knows me is surprised by that. What? Um, and um, Romans chapter 8, uh, you think about the commitment of God and the hope of God. You know, he... The one who did not withhold his son, didn't spare his only son, he's going to freely give all things that we need for life. Uh, He's not going to hold back on us now. And James as well. James James says things pretty straightforward. And so uh, there's a good, a right way to use that with the right people at the right time. You're, You're in counseling, you're really forced if you're going if you're going to take it seriously you're really forced to strive to hear from the person what they think the passage is saying and are they getting that right and then how are they say, seeing that lived out and it really it really forces you to if if you're going to take it seriously it really forces you to know your bible well so you don't just dispense verses you're trying to picture the whole of how scripture sees life I'm sure the the scripture that you would use is going to come alongside of as you're listening and you're, uh, I don't like the word assess. I think it, it seems too technical right. for me, right. but you're, you're, you're discerning mm-hmm. and you're, you're thinking through scripture and how to care for that person. Yep. How, how do you craft those questions then as you're listening? Uh, how, how do you then morph that into the dialogue that you're, you're having with the person and then kind of a similar, a similar question as the scripture. What, what are the questions that you find yourself using more often than others? Like what are your go-to questions in yeah. counseling? Yeah. So like a string of questions there that you can. Yeah. Good. Well, with. I'll probably start with the questions part of it <laughs> yeah. and move it in the direction of how do you move that to then thinking about scripture and connecting it to scripture. Anytime you're having a conversation about anything, the questions you ask are informed about your own understanding or knowledge of the topic you're talking about. And when you're talking about life, they're shaped and formed by your view of the person. Why do people do what they do? Worldview kinds of questions too. So I, I tend to fall into families of questions. I think biblical counseling has a reputation that's in some small slices earned and and by and large not of not really being concerned with a person's life circumstances, especially with their past or things like that. I think those things are on the path were essential to know. 
Uh, you can't know everything about a person all at one time. That's where a relationship comes into play and building of trust comes into play. And the ministry of the word grows as that relationship grows. But I, I want to know about the person's life context now, in the past, things that have come at them, key relationships. And there's a whole host of questions that flow out of that. Just that you, that you would just ask of anybody you're trying to care about, anybody you're trying to learn about. I want to know the ways in which they've been responding to their circumstances and situations and how they evaluate those things. What do they think about their past? What do they think about now? What do they, how do they evaluate their responses? You you want to know inner person, outer person things. And the questions are really driven by that. And if, if you think of counseling as bringing a way of seeing and processing life that reflects the anthropology, theology of the word, then even the questions you ask shape that in a person. And the, question, and the, way, the order you ask them shapes that in a person. Uh, you, you have to get, it's, it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable armor to wear, but you have to get used to people saying, to you, okay, we were talking about this situation that we were trying to make a decision on, and we started talking about it, and he looked at me and he said, what would Jeff ask us right now if he was here? And you, you first hear that, and you want to kind of resist that, and you know, if you, if you feed off of that, you're in big trouble, but you have to own that. You know, I mean, people will follow you that way, and so you really want to you want to ask questions of people that always have a theolo- a biblical logic to them that lead them to think God's way. And then as you're doing that, I tend to be the person that I do that through the line of questions, and then I explain it yeah. by opening the word in a place. Now, here's, here's why I asked this. Here's what we were talking about. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's... Notice what you just said. Here's what the Bible says about this. Here's how this. Here's how the Bible explains what we just talked about. Well, we're going to have one more question, but it's not going to be in this episode. You're going to have to come back to a subsequent episode, and we're going to have a lot of the guests we're having in our lineup. They're all going to ask the same. We're going to ask them the same question. It's all going to be compiled together in an episode in the future. So you have to just look forward to that. So you're not going to hear. Wait, should, I, should I say what the question is now, and then we'll wrap this podcast maybe to, to tease it for down the road? Yeah, I think so. Let's okay. tease it. So the final question, this will give you a couple moments to think about it. We'll talk a little bit, and then you, then you can answer it. And then you want, listener, you're not going to hear it for a while. Uh, the question is, how has your wife impacted your ministry? How has your wife impacted your ministry? And then while you think about that, Dr. Newman, we will... Uh, say what we want to say, but we are very thankful that you're here. Just like our other guests, I think we've all had Dr. Newman in class. Uh, and so, I mean, I can, I can remember like very, very first classes in time at faith, learning many things from you. And, uh, still, I still remember some of the love, no speak to 
Like, you know, like I got that from family class. I think it was in family class. But I mean, again, that was That was a Dave Powell. I was going to say, it's not, yep. I was, I was going to say, yep. that was yep. another thing you yep. took from Dave Powell. Yep. There's a lot of stealing going on in Dr. Newman's life that it's, we're just now finding out about. It's quoting. Sunf- <laughs> it's, it's always, it's always been you, proper. It's always been properly cited. I was going to say, when you, when you, you know, read I'm my, hawkish about those things. Anybody out there knows papers. I'm hawkish about those things. <laughs> when you read my DMN papers, you're like, Charlie. This isn't yours. I mean, like, I'm quoting. <laughs> and that's perfectly acceptable. In as fact, you, you should, as long as it is a quote and it has proper citation and Amen. great. Amen. And I may, I may tell you, you need more sources. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. so we're thankful. Um, you never, you, uh, you are always standing on somebody's shoulders. Always. Yes. Always. Uh, anything you guys want to throw in at the end there? I'm just really thankful for your ministry. I've actually only had one class with you. Uh, I came, I got my... my Horrendous. Ba- I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, I got my bachelor's degree, not mm-hmm. in faith, and I'm older. Um, well, not older than you, but anyway. the um, I had to take a counseling elective for my MDiv. And so marriage and family counseling, I think it was like the first year that you taught it. I think it was like back in 2003. So uh, your influence... a little bit of a piece back. Yeah. Um, Your influence in my life has been um, as an administrator, actually. You were the academic VP and the guy that signed off on me uh, pursuing my PhD at Clark Summit University. Uh, you gave me a lot of counsel through that entire process, some kicks in the rear, and uh, <laughs> which is what you need to get through a PhD and get that dissertation written. So I'm grateful for those kicks. Um, but yeah, I'm just really thankful for you, your influence, your ministry, uh, your counseling and discipleship that you've had in my life. And sometimes, and most often, that was either in my office or your office. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to echo these two men's sentiments. We're very thankful for you. I'm personally very thankful for you. You've been a mentor and a friend to me for years, and I wouldn't be who I am today uh, without your influence. You had said earlier that you have. You said it's. Uh, you said it's uncomfortable armor that you have to get used to when people are like, "What would Jeff say?" Or he said whatever. <laughs> and the funny thing is that my wife and I <clears throat> often say something similar. So I took a lot of classes with Dr. Newman in college and seminary, and spent probably too many days and afternoons in his office. Poor man. And then my wife, when she worked here, she took. Almost all your counseling. Mm-hmm. I don't think she took practicum, and she didn't take uh, yeah, like the capstone right. or whatever. Right, right. And so we've we've both benefited greatly from your ministry. And we will often be talking about something at home. And you know how listener, there's like a dictionary you can buy, and then there you can buy like a pocket dictionary that's like smaller and it fits in your pocket. We will often jokingly say, "Man, I wish we had a pocket Newman right now." You we just pull Doctor Newman out of your pocket and be like, "Hey, what would you do here?" No, I got it. What we need to do. You know, like the magic eight ball. Yes. We need like a magic eight ball that has Dr. Newman sayings on it. And so you shake it. Horrendous. And then it's like, <laughs> that could be one of them. <laughs> the sufficiency of scriptures or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. that'd be really good. Oh, man. You shake it one more time. <laughs> Would another moment be helpful or something <laughs> well, like listener, that? Well, listener, I think we're running out of time. <laughs> yes. no, but for, we, we, we really do. We appreciate you being here and thank you for sharing with us. We are thank very you. thankful for your ministry. And we'll, and all we'll just, mean a lot to me. And we'll, we'll cap this again by saying... Uh, if you want more information on some of Dr. Newman's classes here at Faith or about his ministry with Baptist Midmissions, you can email us at thinklingspodcast.com. Not, not, not That's our website, thinklingspodcast.com. 
thinklinkspodcast at gmail.com. You can email us and we'll get you in contact. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.